Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. Each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions, and that's what I'm going to do for you as you listen. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above bigger obstacles that life is going to present to you. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest is a Morehouse graduate. And he made history in 2006 when at 22 years of age, he defeated a 26-year incumbent state representative to become the youngest member of the South Carolina State Legislature and the youngest African-American elected official in the nation. In 2010, he was named Times Magazine's 40 Under 40. In 2014 and 2015, he was named to the Route 100 Most Influential African-Americans. He practices law with the Strom Law Firm in Columbia, South Carolina, one of my favorite cities, by the way, and is a political commentator at CNN. He is the author of a great book that I read this week, and he will be talking about that during our interview, My Vanishing Country, a memoir. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, my man, Bakari Sellers. Man, thank you so much for having me on this platform, brother. It means a lot to be here with you today, man. So thank you so much. First of all, um, thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for you know. Let, let's talk about uh, we got two breaks, but but twenty five, twenty eight minutes to talk because it's a lot, man. Because you you're presenting information to our lives now that I didn't have when I was growing up. Books like this, you know, these are these are these are important books, and uh. I, like we talk about being country, the difference between country, country folks. <laughs> and uh, I, I was I was sitting on my front porch, and I I, I had my little, I had my I had my, uh, my 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 bottle of water. I read this book on my front porch, and one evening this week, this in fact, I did it on Memorial Day. That's why I spent Memorial Day with your book, Bakari, because uh, well, listen, that, that's a, that's that's all you needed was some boiled peanut, and hey, we would hey, have had a full a full set. Hey, my man, and I was feeling good because you know when I read this book, there was there was a couple of things that were missing in the book for me. Okay, the book is great, by the way. This is not a negative, but I was I needed some pictures in here, man. I needed some pictures. <laughs> I, I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I'll go. I needed to see the picture of your six foot two sister. I needed to see the picture of your six foot two sister next to your five foot three inch tall wife. I needed to see a picture of Pop. I needed to see a picture of you, yeah. Mister yeah. Q Tip, skinny dude with the afro. I needed to see a picture of your dad with the afro when he was younger. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I we, see. We, we we tried we I tried to paint a picture with my words, but as you as you laid it out, man, the, you know, the imagery that we laid out in my vanishing country, I think is special. 
And, you know, these stories we have down here in the South, man, it's important that we tell them with our imagery and tell them with our words. And you're doing it. You're doing it. I, 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 that's why I want to see them, because of the fact that, you know, that, <laughs> that when you talk about that picture that was taken on stage with you and President Barack yeah, Obama yeah. and Kerry Washington and Chris Tucker and Usher, I want to see that picture. I, I, I want to see it because you, you were like, man, I sure wish I could see that picture because you are such a good uh, well, listen, in the paper book, in the paper books, in the paper book section, I, I will talk to my my people over at Harper Collins that you know very well and I will tell them that I was having a money making conversation and Thank one of the suggestions was we add some pictures and we we'll see what they say I, I swear to you I swear to you because you are this is such a great book because of the fact it's historical you you lived that you live as a young man you lived you know like you said you was you like say you was a little political baby you know all the black people all That's the politicians right. come down they had to hug little Bakari come on you little cute little boy come <laughs> over here take a picture with you you know you was the little picture taking baby and so and uh, but let's 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 go back a little bit. But first thing I want to talk about is you being a Morehouse graduate. Talk about that HBCU yes. experience and the importance of it. Man, look. So we're going to Morehouse College, and I was really young when I went. I was only sixteen years old. Absolutely. But the experience in Morehouse, the experience in Morehouse, told me um, a few things. One, one, I could be unapologetically black, be comfortable in my own skin. But it also taught me I could compete anywhere in the world. You know, Morehouse, as they say, your place is crown above your head so you can grow into it. And it just sets that level of expectation. And so being a black man, and you know, uh, Rashawn, right now, as we're going through just mm-hmm. another tragic death mm-hmm. in our country, the grief that it, it means and that you carry as a black man, um, you know, going to Morehouse, it helped me have a sense of pride and, and make sure that, um, you know, I, I speak for those who, whose voices sometimes go unheard. And I rise, I rise to that level of expectation. And so... Uh, Morehouse was was, uh, was amazing in helping me feel comfortable in my blackness and going out and being able to have pride in that and in my everyday life. It's really important because of the fact that well, it was uh, in the book where you're talking about, uh, which I which I wrote found so relatable. We just talking about the, the you know the guys from different parts of the country. You know the Houston boy. I'm from Houston. So, yeah. so I took yeah. Houston ball to wore the polo boots, you know what I'm saying? And that's, and, right. and that's, that's right. our, if you get into college right, man, and you get on campus, you do. I had my boys from New Orleans. That was the St. All boys. I had my boys from uh, from New York, you know. <laughs> they dressed a certain way. And then I had my boys from Chicago. They dressed a certain way. When you get that college experience, I always tell people, go to college. I always tell young people, go to college. It defines who you could be, who you could be. That's about. right. And, and the diversity that the diversity that people don't even imagine exists. You got mm-hmm. you got people who are coming the brightest from all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those St. Aug boys, they, they still are. You know, they wear them Letterman jackets <laughs> their entire life. They're 40 years old, still wear their high school Letterman jacket. But, um, you know, you still have you, you get a chance to learn and cultivate and iron sharpens iron and you're able to, to grow with each other. And those friendships last for a lifetime. And so I was very, very lucky to be able to go to Morehouse. I tell my kids right now, you can go to any college you want to go to in the entire country as long as it's an HBCU. Absolutely. I I, I didn't go to an HBCU, HBCU but I'm doing, I, I'm doing a lot of work in promoting the brand. I just did that big special with ESPN with Stephen A. Smith, who I represent, uh, did a big broadcast for ESPN and raised over $4 million in scholarships and, and registered 1,200 students for HBCU schools last September. And we're going to do it again this year. Uh, hopefully this pandemic calms down so we can do it again because of the fact that I understand the value of that form of education that sometimes gets watered down. Yes, yes. And we just have to make sure that especially as black folk are, are not just suffering the most in terms of public health from this COVID-19, 
um, but our businesses are suffering and our institutions of higher education are suffering. So I'm grateful for somebody like you reaching out and, and reaching up and giving people a hand up. I have to. I have to. That, that's the roles we play in life. Let's talk about My Vanishing Country, you know, uh, a memoir. Talk to, tell us about why you wrote this book first. So I, I will tell you this, man. Look, I, I didn't want to write a uh, I didn't want to write a, a memoir per se. I wanted to write a political book. Right. Um, but no one wanted to buy it. I mean, I, could, I, I kept getting turned down. And so I sat down with Tracy Sherrod over at HarperCollins and she said, look, tell me your story. And I mm-hmm. told her about my father being shot in the Orange Ring Massacre. I talked about the trauma that living with with that entails. I talk, talked about being the youngest black elected official in the country and, you know, living in South Carolina and working in South Carolina under the auspices of the Confederate flag. And I talked to her about losing my good friend Clemente Pinckney um, in the Charleston shooting. And, you know, throughout all of those experiences, that trauma, I realized that my trauma may not be your trauma, but if we get a level of understanding, then we can persevere together. Um, and she said, you got to put this t- you got to put this down on paper. And, you know, the you never know when your book is going to come out when you right. write it. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that my book was going to come out during a time where black folk were dying at extremely high rates um, due to the coronavirus or a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really would have imagined, I mean, that we would have had the deaths of, of uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, um, and now another death in Minnesota. Right. Um, but, um, you know, so the book comes out in the words that I'm, that I'm putting on that page. Um, or those pages, it speaks to the issues of race we have in this country, issues we've never truly dealt with. Right. And we have someone in the office that uh, often seems like he's fueling the uh, the problem instead of trying to uh, remedy the problem. Correct. And so with that, yeah. being, with that being said, you know, you are a political commentator. And this book, uh, I just want to let everybody know how special you are as a young man. I want to know about how special which, how your parents are. Let's go to your parents because that's the that's the unknown yeah. story that really, really just had me going from page to page to page to page. Tell us about your dad, who your who your yeah. friend from college, your roommate said he's our Martin Luther King Jr. Your dad. <laughs> yeah, my dad was a member of SNCC. My dad dedicated his life to justice. My dad dedicated his life to freedom and the pursuit thereof. And so. You know, February 8th, my dad was shot um, in what's called the Orange Rig Massacre. Um, three others were, were killed, Henry Smith, Samuel Hammond, and Delano Middleton. And um, there was a total of 29 that were injured. Um, all the officers who fired shots into the group of students were tried. They were all found not guilty. Um, my father ended up being the only person that um, they charged, tried, and convicted of that night's violence. They charged him of being the first and only one-man riot in the history of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my mother, my mother helped integrate schools in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, my parents, they all came from this um, worldview that you had to become a part of something larger than yourself, Right. that you had to um, push this country to be a more perfect union. And the, that came along with a great deal of trauma, but they instilled that in all of us. And so um, as, I, as I go through life, I just go through life trying to be a change agent and make my parents proud because they poured so much into me. 
They poured a lot. Uh, before we go to break, I'm going to give out some little nice little nuggets about HBCUs. There are over 100 HBCUs across the country. They enrolled 10% of African-American students. And despite constituting only 3% of four-year colleges in this country, HBCUs have produced 80% of the black judges, 50% of the black lawyers, 50% of the black doctors, 40% of the black engineers, 40% of the black members of Congress, and 13% of the black CEOs in America. That's what HBCUs do for this country um, yes. continue yes. to do for this country now your major in college was it african-american studies it was it was yes and i bring that up because my degree is in mathematics and i did and I, my minor was in sociology and i took african-american studies which changed my life by the way because yes. i yeah. can remember because i realized that that uh i went to public school they just teach you nothing about what African-Americans have accomplished. They free you, <laughs> then you make it to the Brown to the Board of Education, then all of a sudden you make it to the Martin Luther King speech, and that, but that's what it all did, the Martin Luther King assassination. That's why it pretty much ends in public school education. Then we, go, then we do the Black History Month, and it's the same individuals in Black History Month that we talk about, which they are important, but we've accomplished more than like six people. And so when I took African-American studies, it, it, it evolved so much information to me that it brought me to tears many times because I went, I didn't know. And yeah. and, and, and it's sad. Talk about that, that education and lack of information, how it just keeps denying African-Americans or people of color yeah, over and know, over again. You know, one of the things that I, I when I was writing the book, um, you go back and you read sentences that, that stick out to you. And one of those sentences that sticks out to me is when I was writing um and and my one of the lessons my father taught me which right. is that heroes walk among us mm -hmm. um, my, my father and my mother they never wanted us to believe that the only heroes we had were martin malcolm and rosa right um you know i grew up around the stokely carmichael's and the marion berries um i studied the majeska simpkins and septima clarks as well as the ella bakers and fannie lou hamers and so all of these i call them my aunts and uncles all of these people who are part of my 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 village you know that i'm a product of the proverbial it takes a village to raise a child. All of these people were a part of my village. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we had an opportunity, I had an opportunity growing up to live and breathe that history. The unique part about growing up in the South, though, is that you don't have to just read your history in books. Right. And you can actually go out and touch and talk to people who, uh, you know, they smelled gun smoke. They laid on those courthouse and jailhouse floors. You know those old ladies that sit on the first and second row of the churches to wear the big hats. They mm -hmm. use the mm -hmm. two and three sticks of butter in their in their um, coconut pies and their sweet potato pies. Right. Those ladies have seen so much, and when they hug you, they sustain you. They give you so much life, but they also give you that wisdom. It's just like the old man in the barbershop who ain't there getting a haircut, but he's telling you the stories about when he saw Sonny Liston fight and mm -hmm. when King came through town and all of these individuals. And so I tried to give all of those people voices. And, up and and have some historical context because Rashawn, this is the this is the key. Right. When we talk about race in this country, um, it's a it's the most difficult conversation we have to have. Mm -hmm. But white folk only look at race through the context of their lifetime. And so, in this book, what I tried to do was show how race has impacted us through a continuum. And so, you can see the progression from my my grandparents to my father and mother to where I am now so you understand that trauma. And if black folk read this and get a sense of pride and white folk read this and get a sense of understanding, mm -hmm. I think we can have some difficult conversations with compassion 
those conversations that are necessary. Really, like you said, 20, 228 years and counting, I believe that's what you say in the book. Correct. You know, Correct. I, I want to read this little portion. You said, I always tell people that we sure. chipped away at the glass ceiling. Glass ceiling mean uh, voters. And in South Carolina in uh, 2014, I won 41% of the vote. In Georgia in 2018, Stacey Abrams won 49%. And in Florida, Andrew Gillum, he won 49%. Um, we, we were talking about states that are Red states. We're talking about states that blacks do have a majority in certain situations, but they're fearful of the outcomes or they're or they're so beaten down that they don't feel that their vote matters. As we go into 2016 and you being a political commentator and you write a book called My Vanishing Country, a memoir. Talk to us about that. What, 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 what do we have to overcome? What do we have to do? Those numbers you laid I mean, out are close, well, but they're not victorious. Yeah, no, we first thing we got to do is overcome voter suppression. It's something that people don't talk about enough in this country. You know, I tell people you got to show up and vote. You got to show up and show out at the polls. And, and you know, if, if voting wasn't so important, people wouldn't work so hard to take it away from you. Right. That's first. Right. Um, so we got to overcome that. We got to we got to push our candidates to be better. You know, I don't mind people pushing Joe Biden to be better, to mm -hmm. be a better candidate, to mm -hmm. have an agenda that positively affects people of color. Mm -hmm. But I also can state unequivocally. And I'm going to do everything I can to vote for Joe Biden and get Joe Biden over the hump because my children don't deserve to grow up in a country where Donald Trump is president of the United States. And so we have to be willing to do that. And like one of the things that I want to see us do is activate. I want to see us activate our base. I want to, you know, it's one thing to go vote, but it's another thing to go pick up your cousin who sits in front of the, 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 the gas station every day, uh, just hollering at people who hadn't voted probably since Barack Obama. Right. He voted in, he voted in 08 and 12 and that was it. Mm -hmm. I need you to go get him. I need you to register your high school uh, um, students in your community to vote. I need this to be a participatory effort. I need everybody to get involved because I'm going to tell you this. Those Trump supporters, they're going to show up. They're going to vote. And we have to be there and we have to make our voices heard. If not, xenophobia, racism and bigotry are going to continue to uh, reign supreme. Absolutely. Uh, you are from North Carolina, born in North Carolina, grew up in Denmark, South Carolina, home of a Piggly Wiggly store. Okay. That's right. <laughs> now, <laughs> That's right. Now, you said in your book, uh, legal desegregation ended in Denmark in 1972. Now, I'm from Houston. That was my freshman year in high school. The fact that I'm, I'm living, a, I'm wor worlds away from you, and you said legal desegregation ended in Denmark in 1972. So that imbalance of what we call freedom or the opportunity to succeed was not available to all blacks on all parts of the country at the same time. How was it growing up in a community like Denmark, South Carolina? I mean, so Denmark was an interesting community because we had, you know, we had train tracks that went north, south, east, and west, which was rare in the south. Mm -hmm. We had a bubbling, we had bubbling small businesses. We had two historically black colleges and universities. One's a two-year technical college, um, you know, where, where our good friend, may he rest in peace, J. Anthony Brown, used to go to Denmark Technical Absolutely. College. Mm -hmm. That's my boy. Um, and Voorhees and Voorhees College. And so you, 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 we had those two colleges. We, and it was the epitome of um, these black small towns which had this upward economic mobility. Um, but when trade came through, um, you know, the manufacturing plants left, um, the small businesses shuttered. Um, we, we, when, you know, government played its role in petty politics and we didn't expand Medicaid, um, you know, the, the, the hospitals left. Um, and so people ask me, what is it like now? And I say, I write about it clearly in My Vanishing Country. That's why one of the reasons that the title is My Vanishing Country 
you know, when you look at when you look at places like this, where a lot of black folk in the United States of America live, you have food deserts where you can't go two or three miles and get healthy fruits and vegetables. Right. Um, you have you have a lack of access to care. So my closest hospital is 25, 30 minutes away. Um, you're drinking dirty water. There are 100 cities in the United States that have a um, that have a water that's worse than Flint, Michigan, and many of those are black and brown cities. Um, you're, you're breathing in dirty air. And so you, you take all of these things, you take all of these systemic levels of injustice and oppression, and you layer them um, with now we're in a pandemic. Um, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a really, really tough time to be black in America. That's a fact. Well, that, that, that's, that's very true. And uh, I, I deal with it and I, um, and I, I'm, I'm oftentimes confused because I don't have options to how do I make it better? It, but the, the one way you can make it better, at least like you said, vote, exercise your right to vote, participate. Don't be a one silent thing, participant. One of the things is, don't be a silent participant, but also don't let people take away your hope and don't let people take away your faith. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very hopeful and mm-hmm. I maintain faith because I have to fight so that my children can be free. Right. So, you know, I don't I don't play it. Pant- I don't paint a dystopian view. I I paint a view that's very real and honest, saying that we've made a lot of progress in this country, but we still have yet a ways to go. And so now it's our duty. It's my duty to continue the legacy set forth by people like yourself, my parents, et cetera, and carry that baton forward so that my children live in a better country. Uh, And I still believe in what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature you know uh Bakari, uh when i when i was going through the book it's like i said so many layers it's a great book and i'm talking about the book my vanishing country a memoir written by Bakari sellers out of harper collins uh publishing house um your friend pop he was older than yeah. you um he had aspirations until the the death of his dad uh and he chose sports and uh there, there are so many pops in our neighborhoods I can remember I have, I have a version of Pop that grew up with me and um, didn't he made it out, but he didn't accomplish what he should have been able to accomplish because of mistakes. And we should all be able to overcome our mistakes. Talk to us about Pop from your neighborhood in Denmark, South Carolina. So, you know, I, I don't know if Pop will hear this um, episode of me on Money Making Conversations. But I it hope it airs in Warhead. Where's he based it now? Where's he, where's he living at right now? He's in Denmark. He's okay. in Denmark. It airs on Warhead's college campus radio station. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, I'm, I'm going to make sure he listens to it. And the reason being is because I want Pop to know that he was a success. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have this tension. We always have this these these very difficult conversations. And, you know, Pop is very emblematic of what it means to be a black man in this country and mm-hmm. trying to overcome, um, even though you have those obstacles that are placed in front of you. And my family, we opened our doors to Pop. Pop is my brother. He has a piece of my heart, always will. And so, you know, I, I feel challenged sometimes and difficulty trying to figure out, um, you know, how we can improve the relationship and which which direction we should go in. Right. Um, but even more, but even more importantly, um, as he grows into being a father, as he continues to work hard, and you know, he graduated from college and he's doing everything he should do. You know, he's a success, and while all he's going to do is make it make it easier for the next generation mm-hmm. um, to, to be better. And so, um, you know, we have to lift up our brothers, especially in, during this climate and during this time. Well, you know, it's really important that you say that and because it was a, it was a very um, I always say, you know, it's about opportunity, a very um, poignant moment in your book when he says, why did y'all come get me? You know, and yes. because he felt that if you guys would have gotten him, 
pulled him into y'all life because he, he basically lived y'all life. He was with you guys, Correct. but he lived on the Correct. other side of the track. And so, Correct. and just, just explain that, that whole different world dynamic and how, how it affected him and how it affected you and your sister and brother. So, I mean, it, it, it was humbling for us because, um, you know, we, we were always aware of, um, the blessings we had and even more aware and in tune to those who didn't. And so we were raised to make sure that anything we had, we, we gave as much as possible. Yes, sir. And my parents poured so much into pop, just like they poured into us. And so, um, the challenge is, you know, what do you do with that? And as me and challenge continue, as me and pop continue to grow older, we challenge each other right now to be better husbands and better fathers. And that's, that's, that is for us, the definition of success. And um, I hope people read about pop and realize how many pops they have in their life and just worry about not giving them a handout, but giving them a hand up. Wow. That's great. Uh, I hope this book becomes a documentary because um, it's, it's so many stories, additional stories that I that uh, motivated me out of this book. Uh, Bakari, I want to thank you for coming on the show to talk about your book, My man, Vanishing Country, for, a memoir. Thank you so much, man. Uh, as you can see, man, on Memorial Day, I was reading your book and enjoying it, my man. I just didn't have the peanuts. That's all. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get you some boiled peanuts. But thank you so much for allowing me, somebody of your stature, to utilize this platform. It means a lot. I'm humbled. So I'm grateful. Thank you so much. I definitely. I'm going to put it in my, I got a fan club of, I sent out newsletter, 90,000 fan club members. My social media is almost a million. So I will be promoting your book, my friend. Be safe and uh, keep listening, okay? My next guest has a background as a homicide and undercover narcotics detective. He's the founder and CEO of Armor Barrel Protective Services. His company is a multi-million dollar security firm servicing executives and global celebrities and global celebrities. He is a Bachelor of Science in Business and built a well-respected legacy in law enforcement before moving into the private sector. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Terry Brown. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hey, said all that, then is he still talking about me? Is he still saying all those great things about my brand? How you doing there, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get those too much. <laughs> well, you get them a lot because, you know, Transition is what we all fear in life, you know, where you get in a regular check and you get comfortable with that regular check. And then all of a sudden you about to you got an idea and a lot of people don't support you on that idea when you start talking about doing other things. Tell, tell us about the transition from the, uh, you know, from a 40 hour week job with some overtime and making a good living to say, you know, some I'm going to bet on me. You know, you know, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I started my this whole journey as a um, police officer um, in California, Northern California, a place called East Palo Alto. And um, it, it was um, an interesting job. East Palo Alto was the um, uh, murder capital in 92, mm -hmm. um, 90, January 93. I went to robbery homicide. Um, that presented its um, own set of challenges, of course. But, you know. It, it was a lot of work, a lot of overtime, but it was a lot of working for someone else. Right. And so I had a son who was, you know, getting up to the those formative years. And, you know, my daughter, I wasn't really there a lot for her. And so I said, you know, when my son came, I wanted to have more control of my time. So my journey uh, initially into entrepreneurship was simply because I wanted to spend more time with my son. Mm -hmm. um, the money I wasn't really concerned with initially that comes later. Um, but, um, transition for me was, um, trying to figure out 
where I fit in in the private sector and what that looked like. I spent the first 13 years of my life in law enforcement. And that was, you know, uh, that was pretty easy. I understood what my path was there. Um, the private sector is a little different. Now, let me ask you this. This is really interesting because when I when I when I gave you credits, it was talking about servicing executives, which I'm sure that's corporate executives and global celebrities. Those are two unique uh, areas and they have to be treated differently. One, when you walk out there, the celebrities, they know who they are. So that means that uh, the reaction in public is going to be different. But then executives, you know, a certain group of people may know who they are, which which makes f- for their security to be unique. Explain the difference in how your company handles both. You know, um, when you're talking about uh, corporate executives, uh, a lot of times, People really, they don't have face recognition. Um, people know about them through print. Um, and, you know, now and then, you know, on TV and in, in the news, but um, face recognition really doesn't come into play a lot. Obviously, celebrities that, you know, they're waiting for you no matter where you go. Um, they could be, you'll, you'll see paparazzi at the hotel. You'll get to your, your venue, your event. And they're there beating you there. So, th- I mean, it's, it's a constant um, navigating between the uh, paparazzi and things of that nature. Um, corporate executives, um, you know, there, uh, there are, our protection for them is centered around um, life challenges. So they, they can make an ex- they can make a uh, decision and it'll affect uh, a lot of people's lives, their livelihood. So those are real life issues. Mm-hmm. Celebrities, uh, you know, it's not the same. Um, but you know, you kind of, you know, with corporate executives, you kind you have that that uh, space where you have the the opportunity to plan, pre-plan uh, what they're doing, their movements and things like that. Celebrities all the time, you're kind of flying off the cuff. You're, you know, you have to be flexible in your in your movement uh, with celebrities. Well, this really is because I, you know, I manage major celebrity talent like Steve Harvey and currently Stephen A. Smith and both of them are different. Like Stephen, Stephen A. Smith, he uh, in, in, in invites people to sign autographs and take pictures with. And Steve is a little bit more reluctant to do that. And so with that being said, you have to deal with that, too, because different celebrities treat their fans of how people approach them different and how do you how do you how do you deal that do you sit down and talk to the talent do you sit down and talk to the celebrities on how that situation should be handled by or how or do you make recommendations you know initially you try to have that conversation with them so they you know clearly understand what you're trying to do to keep them safe um with celebrities you always i mean all your clients you have to kind of understand who they are and what they want right um what they find uncomfortable and um you know what they find you know this this actually comfortable um you know i have kevin hart and Mm -hmm. kevin is very very um uh open to his fan base right um he wants to be approachable and i think that's part of his charm and part of his brand Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you have to figure out in a split second who um, has you know ulterior motives, who who presents a problem for us to move in and out of different environments. You know who has um, 
ill will towards him um, for whatever reason. You have to kind of figure that out with um, body language, um, movement, their movement, things of that nature. And it's kind of an uh, ever-changing type of environment. But some some clients don't want to sign an autograph. Some clients don't want the um, interaction of uh, general public. And you have to navigate through that and figure out how to, you know, do it so that they don't look like the bad guy. Absolutely. And that, that's really what it comes across, especially in this age of social media. People can quickly troll you with negative posts and say you did this and you can just be headed into an office space or headed to sign an autograph or the autograph session has ended and you try to get out of the building to catch a flight or sometimes they say this is what this is the cutoff time and you have to go. And so and so you have to play yeah. the bad guy or, or or set the situation up so the escape route and it really is when you when you got a talent like a Kevin Hart, you got the, you got these high profile talents where they can move people, thousands of people when they walk out in the public in the general street. They can just move bodies like that. Yeah. And and when you say they, they, it's really amazing how they can just walk. I remember Steve and I, we shut down a mall one time. We had to go out the back door to get out of a mall because of the fact that hey, he could not go back out into the general populace, it, population in the mall. I have, I have a mall story with Kevin. Cool. We went to um, the mall in Houston. What's the ma- uh, major mall in Houston? Um, Galleria? Uh, Galleria. Mm-hmm. And um, we went to St. Laurent, second floor. Mm-hmm. We walked in. Um, and I, I kid you not, within five minutes, I looked outside the, the store and there were thousands of people waiting outside the store. I walked out the store entrance to kind of, you know, see what was going Gage on, what yeah. it, it, it look like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I, when I say thousands, I mean, upstairs and downstairs, police showed up. They told us we had to leave. Yes. You know, I didn't really... Uh, appreciate that part of it, but then when, he, when they explain, you know, the um, you know the um, problems with people running and potential getting um, hurt or injured, I was like, okay, I understand that. Um, and so we we had to leave. Mm-hmm. But you're talking within five minutes. They 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 didn't shut the mall down, but the mall was shut down because everyone was outside the store trying trying to get a gaze at Kevin. Right, because so those things happen, and you you have to figure that stuff out quickly too, quickly too, and that and that comes across as a, as a can be like you know uh, uh, fans can take that as a negative. Oh man, oh I, he could top stop and take one photo. Once you stop and take one photo, the other person is going to want that photo, and so a lot of times you see celebrities say, "Okay, take the photo as I'm walking, take the photo as I'm walking," because they can't, if they stop, it's it's. You cannot move forward anymore. It's really an interesting world because, like I said, you know, you represent one of the a global face. So he go to England, somebody knows. He go to South Africa, somebody knows. He goes to Canada, somebody knows. He go to Mexico, somebody knows. He goes to Russia, somebody's going to know Kevin Hart. When you have a face that visible, it does create problems. But then again, when you have corporate execs, they want that same type of security. They want that same type of a, 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 a handling because they feel they're equally important because a lot of times, I'm going to ask you this question, Terry. A lot of times celebrities have to be treated that way, especially when they travel out of the country. Have you had to deal with that? Taking, uh, not celebrities, I'm mean, talking about uh, corporate executives out of the country, especially when they travel in Mexico. Um, yeah, I've never been in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I take that back. I went to Mexico one time with a client, uh, but it wasn't for business. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's a different dynamic as well because you've got to pay attention to the climate of the country that you're, you're attending. You either mm-hmm. have uh, civil unrest. 
Um, in Mexico, obviously, you know, you have the kidnapping situation. Yes. That's a business onto itself mm-hmm. down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing when you travel out of country is understanding the laws um, in those countries because those laws are very different um, from the laws that we're used to. Um, being a police officer, um, yeah, it's, it's very different. Um, we went to, um, and this is not South America, we went to Dubai and yes. we had our radios, that, you know, for communication and they took them. Mm. And um, because I saw, they saw that as a um, uh, uh, equipment um, not suitable for their, um, their country, mm. largely because it affects their communication systems. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of um, people in those countries feel like you're infiltrating their, their uh, systems. Right. So they took our radios. Mm. They took our radios. So you have to really, I mean, traveling abroad, that, that's a different animal unto itself. Um, you, you have to clearly understand what those laws are. You have to clearly understand what the customs are. And you have to uh, figure out a way. Either you're going to get someone on the ground over there to uh, move with you, yes, come on, or you have correct. to move move uh, gingerly, you know, through the uh, landscape so, of those countries. Let me ask you this: I'm talking to uh, my man Terry Brown. He's the CEO of Armor Bear Protective Services. It's a multi-million dollar security firm that services executives and global celebrities. One of his primary talents, we have to say, as a global celebrity, is Kevin Hart. What 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 are the code of ethics that you have to follow when you when you establish a protective services agency? You know, every, every company, every person had their own set of code of ethics. For me, what I try to establish um, with my company is um, honor, uh, integrity, uh, dependability, reliability, loyalty, yes. um, those things. But also, in, in, in addition to that, you know, you have to have a heart for giving, you know, because in, in a sense, what we do is we serve our clients and you have to have a servant's heart. Mm-hmm. You get paid for it, you get paid nicely for it, mm-hmm. but, you know, you do have to um, have those other things, you know. Being dependable, there's no excuses, not being where you need to be at the time you're supposed to be there. I mean, that's just, that's that's um, executive protection one-on-one. Uh, luckily for me, I learned that from law enforcement, my law enforcement right. days. Right. But, yeah, just being um, dedicated being um, honest, being dependable, being flexible. Flexibility is another good one because, um, you know, like I said, with dealing with um, uh, entertainment clients, mm-hmm. you, a lot of times what I'm trained to do, I don't get the chance to exercise those things. So you have to be flexible because there isn't a lot of uh, flexibility there for you to um, or time for you to do what you, you're trying to do right. um, to make sure that that client is safe. So you have to be flexible and, and, and deal with the hand that you're given. It's really is true. Um, you know, you was an undercover uh, narcotics detective dealing in homicide. Like you said, you know, that's a dark side of life. And you want to just get into the entrepreneurial field just to spend time with your son, just to just to be there. When it wasn't so much a 40 hour week or the overtime you had to spend, but also knowing that you have a son you have to raise. And then you then you found and become the CEO of Armor Bear Protective Services. What is the key? A couple of key things that really established the growth of your company. Oh, man, two main things that come to mind right off the bat. Um, well, 
a little more, but but initially I have the support of a uh, wonderful wife at home. My wife Absolutely. Kim, she she supports me. I'm gone a lot, <laughs> I and know, so I know. she made sure the household thing is taken care of. My wife is wonderful, so mm-hmm. I get to go out on the road, do what I do, and not have to worry about what's going on at home. The second thing is I have a great team that works with me here at Armor Bear. Um, um, starting with um, my COO, Will Goldsboro. Um, I, I just, we, we have a great team, um, a team. We, I don't, I don't subscribe to, you know, I make all the, the you know, the rules and, and decisions. I do it with a team effort and um, I have a team that I actually trust uh, to um, give me the right feedback, give me the right information so that we can make a uh, concerted uh um, decision on what it is we need to do to move forward. The other thing is, um, I think early on for me is I, I decided that if I was going to go into the private sector, I needed number one to be, uh, to educate myself to the private sector. So I, I feel like everyone who does something entrepreneurial, they need to become a student of their industry. So I read a lot. Uh, I made sure that I avail myself to differences in style. Mm-hmm. Um, a good friend of mine, he runs a company in, in D.C. area. Um, he His company is totally different from mine. Right. And it's easy to, for me to sit back and, and say that, you know, we're, we're this or we're that. But no, when I sat down and had a conversation with him, um, we call him Spoon, he um, explained what he does. And his brand is just different from mine. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's just like I said, you have to become a student of the game and understand it. You know, everyone is different. Everyone has something to offer and no one's better than the other. You just try to be the best version of you. I totally agree with that. You know, the interesting thing about it that I want to just put on top of that is relationships are key. Your 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 name, your brand is key because when you're talking about security, it's about trust. You have to trust and you have to be patient because sometimes you might just be standing outside a restaurant five hours. You might stand outside a hotel do- door and you don't know when you're going to leave that hotel door. You you have to exercise patience, good vision, and, 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 and also realize that you're not the star. You're not the star. You are the person there to secure people, to make sure they ha- they get home to their family. And if they have fans, the fans don't feel like you're the jerk or he's the jerk. So there's a lot of things that come into play that a lot of people don't realize when you're providing security. It's not just a step aside, step aside, get out the way, get out the way, get out the way. You're really shaping and also helping to develop and maintain that corporate executive's company's brand or that celebrity's personal brand. Correct? Yeah. You know, you have to be okay with being in the shadows. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you got to be okay with building, help build someone else's brand. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. You know, um, you put, again, what we do is we serve. And you got to put their needs um, ahead of yours. And and I think that, you know, like for me, when I came into the business, I think I came in and was brought in, um, in a, you know, the right way. And so I don't need the limelight, never have me jumping on a radio show on the radio show podcast with you is, is a, is a reach forward for me mm-hmm. because I'm so used to being in the shadows mm-hmm. that it's tough for me to, to step out and talk about who we are. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm coming out that, that shell a little bit, but that that's you. You're absolutely right. You, you know, you have to be okay with, um, 
you know, being in in, in the background mm-hmm. and letting someone else shine. And, yeah. and so, um, like you say, the whole idea is for them to get to where they need to get to so they can do what they do best Absolutely. and get home safely. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And so... That's that right, right there. That's in that's it in a nutshell. Well, Terry, I'm gonna tell you something, man. I know um, this is not something you normally do. That's why I'm I'm happy to get you on the show and let you realize about the brand that I'm trying to do with Money Making Conversation. It's about entertainment and entrepreneurship because you're a brand. And I bring individuals like you on my show to let everybody know there are there are so many options to be successful, but you got to follow your your faith. You got to follow your your vision and you got to have a plan. And you started in one direction doesn't mean that's your final journey. And that's what I love about what you're saying that you that you you trusted your instincts and then you surrounded yourself and then you have people a support group that allows you to be you terry so i want to thank you for coming on my show i became fans of my next two guests on the critically acclaimed hbo series the wire and both of their careers span more than four decades of acting and directing in addition to co-starring in the netflix film the five bloods which is outstanding by the way clark peters can also be seen in hbo's fantasy tv series his dark material the critical acclaimed film Harriet saw that too about Harriet Tubman and the new Apple series Foundation. My man down in New Orleans right now, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Other notable film credits include Black Klansman saw that, Peach Dragon, Cedar Rapids, and he will co-star opposite my man Brian Cranston in a new short time limited series called Your Honor. The Five Bloods is premiering on Netflix on June twelfth. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man Clark Peters who's in London, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who's in New Orleans. How you guys, fellas? How you doing, fellas? Very well, thank you, man. That was a lovely introduction, brother. Thank you. First of all, that's a shortened version of how great you guys' resumes look. And I just appreciate you guys allowing me to pull some nuggets out of your resume just to let the world know how special you two are and and, and also how special this movie The Five Bloods is really about but before I just want to ask a, a, a question right quick for each one of you uh, Peters how did you get started in acting and what was your first major project can you answer that question for me Yes, I, I got started um, following my old, my older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, as, as children, we always wanted to perform together. Mm-hmm. He went to Paris um, in around 1968 or 69, somewhere uh, on a sabbatical from school. Mm-hmm. And I went over to visit him while he was uh, performing in the musical Hair. Mm-hmm. I, I um, um, am short story is is that he didn't show up one night and I went on on his place and that was my first <laughs> that was my first gig <laughs> stand in for but your I, older brother okay <laughs> you know well and, and he and, and he didn't bother to come back so I figured okay I got I got the family clever you know I'll make sure the family's at least going to be represented you know <laughs> I feel I love that Isaiah how you doing man how can you answer how, how did you, you get started in acting and what was your first major project you know I um I got started in acting. I, I had gone to college <clears throat> on a uh, athletic scholarship, and mm-hmm. uh, one day a friend of mine said they were going to to uh, audition for a play, and if I wanted to come along, and I did. They had me get up and read. I got the part. Uh, she didn't. She never spoke to me again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. And I was in, re- I yeah, was in rehearsals friend. also, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, the way 
I like to look at it. No, it doesn't matter how you got there as long as you did. You know, it's been it's been quite a career. Well, it's it's beautiful. You know, he ran his brother out of the country, and you just stopped talking to somebody. I, I love that. That's how yeah. you that's how you get rolling. That's how you get rolling. Uh, I'm talking to my man Clark Peters and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. They're two stars of the movie The Five Bloods, which will be premiering on Netflix on June 12th. Now, The Five Bloods is a movie by five guys who served time together in Vietnam, but it's also a movie by Black History. If you guys can expound, because that's really, Spike Lee, man, he's something else now. You know, I'm enjoying the movie and he's just dropping these nuggets and I was, I was sitting with my wife, I go, you know he's telling us about Black History, you know. She said, yeah, that's, that's right, right there. That's Black History right there. That's Black History right there. And so that that's was beautiful right. how he laid that in there. Comment on that. Both of y'all, I'd like to hear from both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Isaiah. I'll, I'll follow you, bro. Well, you know, I, I don't think you can do one with this movie. I don't think you could do one without the other. Right. Because I think by dropping, you know, those nuggets of black history into the film, you began to understand the dynamics of what these brothers were going through, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, and what they were feeling. So you had to do, to me, it always seemed like you had to do both together to be able to get the impact. If you just did one, you didn't quite get it. But when you sort of backed it up with that uh, black history lesson, you began to see and understand and feel the dynamics of the film. Yeah. And also, um, I, I think what, what you're getting is not only the the, the context of uh, in which these men were serving, but you're also getting their point of view mm-hmm. on on right. the uh, existence of African Americans in the states and the and the breadth of experiences that we have politically and spiritually, so forth and so on. Right. And yet, uh, as diverse as these uh, brothers were, you know. Um, they had all gone in separate ways once they once they left and had uh, a myriad of experiences. Yet they still maintained the love for each other, right. which appears to be somewhere missing today. You know yeah. that type yeah. that that type of brotherhood, and even that is commented on on in in the in the uh, in the piece. And, Sp- and Spike has a way of doing that. You know, I'm glad that he I'm glad he's the megaphone. Absolutely, you know for. Uh, you know, for 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 us, you know, there should be more. But you know, we understand the context within which he exists. You know, in that world, and just so many are going to get out there to reach just so many. You know, but um, I'm glad I'm glad that we were de- certainly a part of part of this. You know, that that's yeah. what our craft is for. That's how our craft should be used. You know, for well, sure. Well, you know, the beauty of this movie was, first of all, it was. Um Let's let's break down the characters. The Five Bloods consisted of Storm and Norman. That was played by the the Black Panther. He always be known as the Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> and then my boy Paul, that was played. His character was played by Daryl Lindo, and uh, Eddie. Mm-hmm. That was Norm Lewis. Otis. That was mm-hmm. you. Clark Peters, mm-hmm. and then Melvin used Isaiah. Oh, that was Melvin was played by Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Else on this journey was mm-hmm. Paul's son, which is David, played by Jonathan Majors. Now, yes. you guys. First of all, the music was outstanding. And the music should have been just a tribute to Marvin Gaye. Cause, uh, and it brilliance. was. And it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, his brilliance of uh, 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 was timeless because, guess what? It's one of the all-time great uh, albums at the time and just a generational talent because that music is uh, uh, can be played right now and be very relevant. Now, mm-hmm. when you guys got the script, okay, because you, was it set in Vietnam or did you guys shoot it locally? Where did you shoot it, the movie at? Oh, in both Vietnam and Thailand. Yeah, Thailand. Uh, 
uh, pretty much the jungles of uh, Thailand. Oh, the jungles. Okay, cool. Now, I had fun watching you guys try to dance, okay, in the beginning. Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw it out there, you know. Wait, you know. Wait a minute, wait oh no, no, Isaiah, you had that little Isaiah. Isaiah, you had that little skippity going, that little skippity hop going. I was, I, I was getting up off the ground. Now I was, I was getting up off the ground. Okay, okay. And, then, and then, and then, Peters, he gonna close out with the funky chicken. You know you can't dance if you're doing the funky chicken. <laughs> and you know, and, and you know, you know, I had a drink in my hand. Uh-huh. I had a drink in my hand. That's true. 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 That's my, my smoothness and, and Paul Norm, he need to stop. Norm really, really need to stop acting like his little pigeon toe knock needed behind. He really need to stop acting like he can dance. The, the, part you didn't see, you, the part you didn't see was me getting oxygen off the camera. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> oh, this is fun. This is fun. And I'm, 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 I'm having fun with it because I'm going to let everybody know this is a reunion movie. Movie. But it's also it's a family movie, and it's about friends yes. learning about each other. And then it's a treasure hunting movie too. Mm-hmm. It was it was it the, the the treasure of Sierra Madre was that yes it? yeah you know it, it was yeah. it was so fun I was I'm watching the movie go I said you know I'm just gonna be real like you. I've never seen this in a black movie like this. Now, this usually, yeah. that's what Spike do you. Spike will give you something that you never saw in our supposedly drawn genres. And y'all did it so well. You got you out there, Isaiah, with the metal detector. You were funny as heck. You know, Peters, you out there with the bad hip. You were funny as heck. And stubborn with a bad hip. So, so, so I'll start with you, Isaiah. Tell everybody about your character because we're going to have fun with this. And then, Peters, you follow him up. Okay. No, Melvin. I, Melvin. He, he was. He was. He was supposed to be the youngest of the group. Right. Uh, and he had lied. He had lied about his age mm-hmm. to get into the service. But he was sort of like this free spirit. You right. know, he didn't really. He didn't really have the. You know, those strong moral values and things like that. I mean, I'm not going to say he didn't have any, but he was more of a black and white kind of person. Absolutely. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you you want to you want to talk about reparations? Well, I'm looking at all this gold here. Uh, I got mine. You know, right, so, right, right. So, so he, you know, he was he was you know he was pretty much matter of fact. That being said, you know, when push came to shove, I mean, he was he was he was a real soldier, and he was um, he was very protective of, uh, with the guys around him, and. Um, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't really sell them short, you know, you couldn't, you could not, but I, I, I wanted people to sort of feel that, you know, that, you know, he was a bit of a fun loving guy. I mean, you know, he's the first time you see us in the movie, I'm at the counter, uh, <laughs> my credit card, but I got a drink already. Right. Know? I saw that. I saw that in the lobby, in the lobby. So, the yeah. Norm, he going to come in and try to whip down his black card. Like he's somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got, a, I got a, drink before I even checked in, so I right. know right. what I came there to do, you right. know. Uh, I came there to love have a good it. I time, love you know? it. I love and, it. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, I had to explain to someone the other day about the DAP, mm-hmm. because uh, they yeah. had seen the movie, and they said, well, you know, I like the way Spike 
uh, he added some modern touches. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, the handshakes and stuff like that. And I said, no, no, no. That's that's all of that started during the Vietnam War. That's not, right. you know, uh, that's not a basketball thing. I know? loved it. I loved it. See it. You know, and I said, you know, all of that came out of that. But it was uh, it, there, were, there, were, there, were, there was a bond there. And it showed, like, what part of Vietnam you had served in, mm-hmm. where you were from, things like that. So uh, you really had to kind of embrace it. And, right. Um, and that's what my character did. And it really did. It was great. All right there. Clark, I apologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, DAP was supposed to have, is an acronym for something. I can't quite remember what it, what it was for. D-A-P. Mm-hmm. What was that for? Uh, Can you remember, Isaiah? I, I can't remember. No. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a, um, um, it was an acronym for something. I can't I can't quite remember. But um, when we realized that it that it was more than just a greeting, it took on a whole nother thing. I think for all of us, right. you know, yeah. it's right. a, you know, because uh, not not everyone not everyone had the same the same DAP, you know. So you knew that if you gave a certain DAP, that you were from a certain unit in a right. certain time, and you know, it was it was a uh, um, it was our drum, right? Yeah. It was right. our, it was it was our drum. You know, they can take away the drum, but they can't take away the skin. <laughs> and what, I, what, I, what I also realized was that even if we were doing it, mm-hmm. we all had our we all had our favorite DAP. Right. I mean, yeah. there were some who were be- there were some who were better in, than others in certain areas of the DAP, right. and we all had our favorite DAP. So you right. had to learn all of them because you never <laughs> knew what you were going to get hit with. You know. <laughs> I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. That's, that's, that that part of the DAPing program, I'd have been left off. I'd been left off the DAPing program. <laughs> and, and I was born in that we, era. I was born in that era. The bump, all that good stuff. Funky chicken. I I, right? I had it all down pat. The the great thing about your character, uh, Peters, was that you are a medic. And so, and I'd say that's great because, you know, we've seen, you know, it shows that there was educated black men participating other than yes. just shooting a gun. You were saving lives. And I think that was a calculated uh, character development for Spike in this movie, correct? Yes. I, I, um, and, and also with, with his history, you know, and with these particular brothers, with these five bloods, you know, mm-hmm. he had seen parts of their bodies and insides that they had never seen before. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, he 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 taken bullets out of them. He right. showed them up. You know, right. uh, he kept their morale together in the in in the field. And as we see, also later on, when when we when we had the reunion, you know, right, right. He, uh, I I love his humanity. I mm-hmm. love that that uh, that we are allowed to express our humanity like this because. He's not a fictitious character, you know. Mm-hmm. There were mm-hmm. brothers like this, absolutely, you know? mm-hmm. and there are brothers like this and women who are like this today. Absolutely, absolutely, know? absolutely. You know, so uh, you know, it was it, it was an honor to celebrate and to wear that that that, that persona. You know, for myself, I, I find it easy because I love these brothers. Absolutely, I, you know, I, I mm-hmm. love them off, off off the camera. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be, Isaiah and I go go way back. You know, mm-hmm. so. It's easy. It's easy to have this camaraderie and have this fun, you know, mm-hmm. and to look after them. And oddly mm-hmm. enough, you feel like you, 
you know, it's sometimes you're not supposed to carry your your uh, your work home, right. you know. But I didn't mind carrying Otis back back to the hotel with me, you know, most yeah. nights, you know, and still hanging on out with with the brothers and keeping an eye on them. You know, we were we we were in a situation over there in Thailand last year where we were wearing masks, right? You wow. know, because because the weather was so bad, mm-hmm. and I found myself making sure that. You know, are we all right? Right. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? That's awesome. There's a lovely we, also, we also needed one another, you know? I mean, there yeah. was such a, you know, we knew what we were in for. Uh, the days were hard. The days were long. The days were mm-hmm. hot. And we just desperately needed one another. We needed to pick each other up and make sure that each other were okay. Yeah, I think it was hot. Man, I, we, I know it got hot when I was out there looking for the gold. Now that it got hot there. Oh, brother! I, I knew it was you because I said you looked like it was hot. You looked like when you said, "Look, man, I'm looking for the gold. I ain't picking up nothing." I, I said, "He ain't acting now, honey. He's not acting." Now. <laughs> it was 104 <laughs> degrees that day. Do you remember? I said, "He's it not was, acting." It was now, 104. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. to my man there Clark Peters. Day. And Isaiah Whitlock, two stars of the movie The Five Bloods, premiering on Netflix on June 12th. What you about to say, Isaiah? No, but there was there was one shot in the movie where I looked at myself and I said, I said, did I really look that damn bad? <laughs> I mean, the heat, it just seemed like it just... <laughs> hey man, hey man. Like when you was out there looking for that, I'm telling you something, Isaiah. When you was out there looking for panning, you had your little meter out there, your little metal detector. You, you were hot, brother. You were hot. You were looking for some cold water, some ice water, some air conditioning. When they gonna call cut something here? Cause this is some real heat out here. <laughs> I was looking for my trailer is what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I, I it's, it's two other dynamic characters. Uh, that Paul, I, mean, I just gotta say about Daryl Orlando, what he did in this movie as the character Paul. Wow, yeah. I'm gonna tell you something. Yeah. All yeah. you guys did fantastic jobs, amazing job. He has some monologues, man. If we don't see him in some nominations in the fall. I'm gonna be really, really hurt because well, he you know, laid it out and, there, and, and, man. He laid it out there. Make sure, make sure you express that hurt there too, Russian, because you know there's there's uh, that one scene where he walks off. You right. know, mm-hmm. and he and right. You know right. what I'm talking about? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, on that, on that particular day, you know, it was it was a pretty intense day. Do you remember this, Isaiah? Mm-hmm. Yep. He yep. walked off and. It was like God was with him. Nature right. was with him because a storm came up from nowhere. Mm. Mm. A, a storm came up from nowhere. And my man was just riding the energy of that storm. And you couldn't help but to feel, you couldn't help but to feel the emotion. That, mm-hmm. and, and wherever he was going in his spirit right. to find that, right. the earth and God was with him. And we hope yeah. that that comes on through on, oh, on the it, show. It does. It, it does. It does. It, first of all, it's a hurt soul. Yeah. All, all you guys, his character was the hurt character. The, the character yes. who was yes. still carrying Vietnam with him. Later on, we find out why. But he still was carrying, yeah. PTSD was all in his spirit. He never was able to walk yeah. away or have a life or have a life with his son. Who and mm-hmm. his son? I, I want to get more detail, but that whole breakdown was amazing and told a different story besides the five bloods and that relationship as it as it grew out. But it was interesting. I was reading an article about uh, that uh, 
that uh, Spike Lee said. He said there was no CGI budget to make you make my man look younger during the flashbacks. Okay, that's what Spike said. And I'm gonna tell you guys something. You know, I always tell people when you dream or you think back, you never see yourself when you dream and you think yes. back. You only see yeah. what you see. Okay, and so so when you guys were having those flashbacks, I always saw it from you guys' perspective. He was supposed to be yes. younger. Okay, he because it was being told from your perspective. And, and first of all, such brilliant acting, it didn't matter. So I was yeah. I always stayed in the moment during the flashbacks because you guys were going back to where you were thinking about when you were younger. Hey, whenever I think about somebody, my I, I hope to God I don't think of somebody looking my age now in the 70s when I'm thinking about how that person looked in the 70s. That person looks like that person in the 70s. And I am who I am today. It was brilliantly. I know he said that, but I just want to tell you guys it worked. Yeah, so you know, the, the, thing worked. Is, the thing is, the thing is. The thing is that when you start tinker tinkering around with the CGI, right? You know, then it, the audience, the audience watching it, they're 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 no, they're no longer paying attention to the story, right? They're paying attention to you trying to look younger, yes. And by by us just being ourselves, staying in the moment, stayed in the story, mm -hmm. stayed in the moment, stayed in the story. You didn't have you were you were not distracted is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Yeah, That's yeah. what I always tell people. Black and white movies, you had to act. In black and white movies, yes. you had to be able to act. When they start adding that color and all that stuff, the background, the sunshine, sun sunset was yellow. You know, they could hide some bad acting. When you guys That's right. That's went right. from from the younger character and then you went back to the Vietnam, I felt it was real. I felt the emotion. I felt the pain. I felt the journey. Just a fantastic job. A great movie. The Five Bloods premieres June twelfth on Netflix. But before I go, I'll be I'll be remiss because we know the times. We're both all three of us African American men. And we'd be remiss to talk about how this pandemic or COVID-19 is affecting our, our community. Uh, in uh, in yeah. April, when the, when the CDC came out, it's 80 percent of the uh, affected patients in uh, Atlanta were African-Americans in New Orleans, the state of Louisiana, seven out of 10 in Chicago, 45 percent in Detroit, 53 percent. We are a, a, a race of people who are overly affected by this in a country that's not understanding how they can take care of themselves, let alone take care of us. Any comments on hey, that team? Russ, can I, can I put, can I put this to you right now? Um, I wasn't in the States when it went, when, uh, when that those figures came out. Right. And, and I don't want to, and I repeat this, I do not want to minimize the, the pandemic or the importance of any virus that's in the air right. that mm -hmm. is affecting human beings. I'm right. not minimizing that at all. But what you guys were getting over there as one bit of information, we were getting the complete opposite over here. Right. What we got over here was that it was not something that was affecting uh, people of color. Right. What we got over here was that it was going after the uh, after the elderly first. Yes. And those who were whose immune systems were compromised. Absolutely. It was ne and and if anything the young bloods over here were saying, well, it doesn't bother people of Afro-Caribbean descent. That's a lie. That's what was going on here. Now We've been around long enough. Mm -hmm. We've been around long enough to know how uh, how 
a machine will uh, will uh, affect or use uh, people of color or people of a lesser uh, uh, circumstance mm-hmm. for its own means. You know, now we have not only the pandemic. But we also have this 5G thing that's going up that as lie. well, running that alongside. That's a lot. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, see, that, and, and that is exactly my point. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know because you get something over here, you get mm-hmm. something over there. Right. But what I do know mm-hmm. is this, is that Tuskegee mm-hmm. was an experiment. Absolutely. You know, what I do know is that when the pilgrims came on over to the new land and they wanted some, they wanted some land, they gave the indigenous people some blankets. Right. You know, um, I do know that according to history, you know, that first pandemic that came through in 19, in the early 1900s was on the back of the introduction of x-rays into the world. Mm-hmm. So... I, I, I'm not, and like I say, I'm saying this not to minimize right. the the, uh, the, but I think that one needs to really be uh, to think through and use your mind and do not give up the responsibility of your health to somebody else. Thank you. I agree with that. Do not give it up to somebody else. You know, God gave you that body and that mind Mm -hmm. for you to work within that temple and for you to keep that clean, for you to look Mm -hmm. after that. But you know the thing about... Isaiah? I'm sorry, go ahead. Isaiah? No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, Clark. No, yeah, uh, I, I was pretty much done because, like, I'm I'm moving to the edge of my seat now, and I'm gonna start standing up. <laughs> I love him. I love him. I love him. Thank you. Thank but you. I, Thank I, you, Mister Peters. What I, Not, say, mm-hmm. what I wanted to say was that uh, I, I think this pandemic has really raised the veil on a deeper problem. Yes, that mm-hmm. has been that you know it's like you're looking up underneath the hood and you're seeing you know what the real problem is. Uh, and starting to ask a lot of questions. Why? Why is it this way? Why do is there so much diabetes, uh, high blood pressure? Why cholesterol? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Why are why are mm-hmm. we in this, why why are we in this type of situation? And the more you dig, the, the the more you begin to realize that this is not this has been going on for years. <clears throat> yes. I mean, and I'm and when I say years, I'm talking uh, centuries. Yes, it has. Uh, yes, that's right. And, that's, um, right. that's right. And uh, going forward, it needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff about the heroes and essential people and everything like that. Uh, when this pandemic is over, if it's ever over, mm-hmm. I want to see. I want to see what we do going forward. Yes. I want to see if those if those essential people are taken care of, if those heroes are taken care of, mm-hmm. if uh, if if uh, things are, are 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 fixed. Right. If we mm-hmm. just go back to doing what we were doing, that's that's going to be really sad. That's going to yes. be very very sad. Yes. Yes. You know, and and and, and you know, we, we, what we do is, is is all we have to do is look at the way that our veterans are being taken care of. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Look at the way our veterans have been taken care of. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> you know, talking, and that's what this is all about. Hey, fellas, about, I, I, I want to. They, they keep talking about heroes and I don't want to be one. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, here, here's the deal. I, I want to thank both of you guys for coming on the show. Uh, this is the first time talking to you guys. It's been amazingly fun. 
I don't want to. I know they gave me a time limit. That's why I don't want to go beyond that. Clark Peters, Ice Whitlock Jr., two of the stars of The Five Bloods premiering on Netflix on June 12th. Guys, any closing comments before we get out of here? Other than it's a great movie and go see it on Netflix and uh, uh, make it a trending movie, make it number one for about five or six weeks, and let's just some million views yes. on it and all that good stuff. Because I'm be yes. doing my part, fellas. Yes. I'm doing my part. Yes. Listen to what. Yeah, what I said. <laughs> listen to what he said. Hold on, Peter. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. It's, it's Rashawn. Say, Rashawn. Listen to what Rashawn says. So I can put that on. Put that on the air. This what Rashawn says. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate oh, y'all, fellas. I appreciate y'all. Thank you for coming you on bet. the show, and you we'll bet. talk soon. Like I, I'm interviewing Daryl today too, so we're gonna have fun. Thank you, teammates. Bye bye. Give him my love. Oh, bye absolutely, absolutely. Bye bye. Alrighty, man. You take Peace. care. Bye bye. I am. If you want to hear more interviews of uh, Money Making Conversation, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. My next guest is a proud native of Inglewood, California. Inglewood! She is also the proud <laughs> owner of the... <laughs> I, I had to say that. I'm sorry, Leo. Uh, she's also... Okay. You live in L.A. for 15 years. You're going to say, Inglewood! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she's also the proud owner of the Girl Cave Los Angeles, a chain of beauty supply stores and lifestyle brands in Los Angeles. She's also the owner of a juice bar. She's a real estate mogul and a former model. Her hopes are to promote a more realistic standard of beauty for all women. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, one of the stars of Bravo's Married to Medicine, Los Angeles, Leah Diaz. Thank you. That's a great introduction. I love it. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, you know, I uh, thank you for uh, saying that. I want to just, you know, it, it was part of your intro. I wanted to, for you to explain to me a little bit about it. You said your hope is to promote a more realistic standard of beauty for all women. Explain what you mean by that. Well, I, for me, I was in the modeling industry for right. a while. And I remember being a young woman and feeling when I got rejected that it was something wrong with me, right? Like my features and you know, there's things about me that, you know, other people don't see as beautiful. And so in my stores, I don't want people to feel like they have to fit a mold. Like mm -hmm. if you like your hair natural, then we have stuff for you mm -hmm. to be natural. If you like wearing weaves and wigs, then all of it's fine. Like there's no one way to be. And so that's what I try to come across. I want my customers to pick up in my store and even with my marketing materials and my advertisement, I make sure that I cover all spans, all spectrums of what it is to be a woman, it's not just one thing, you know? It really is important that you do that, especially in this era of uh, social media. You know, Adele, right. she just got posted that picture of her losing weight and people were on her. Well, you know, like she doesn't have an option. She she can't change well, how she looks. Exactly. And she to me, she's fabulous either way. But right. that's a classic example of her having control. She It's her body. If she wants to be 300 pounds or 150 pounds, that's her choice. And so I just feel like we need to be more mindful, especially as women, to just embrace who we are and help other women embrace who they are. Well, that's why I wanted to get that out because I felt when I read that about you, you know, it was important because of the fact it wouldn't be in part of part of your bio, part of your DNA. And then being that yes. you are a model, you know, that's a very superficial world. You know, a lot of 
you read a lot of horror stories about, you know, weight, weight issues and, and there's a short window for success and, and there's a lot of, uh, harassment that goes into those levels. And especially, especially when you come in young and you're just trying to make it, sometimes you make decisions that aren't comfortable, that are uncomfortable for you because you're just trying to get the opportunity. But it all goes right. back to how you look. And that's unfortunate. So when I see a Lizzo jumping out there and doing her thing and being very comfortable, this always lets me know it's not so much about, and I have a daughter who's 22 and it's important for her to be herself, you know? And when you said that statement, I said, I, I, I got to really expound on that a lot more because I felt it was important for you to say, this is what you do. You're in the, be you're in the beauty lane. You're in the entertainment lane. You're, in the, you're, you're stepping out there and your fans are following you. Your fans are recognizing you as a model of, of a, a, a brand, not so a model for sense of fashion model or makeup model, but a model, a role model. I should say a role model. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I want to be conscientious of that when I'm promoting my stores and, and even promoting myself that I don't put women in a box because that's not it's not fair. No, we're going to talk about the box in a minute. That's subscription in a minute. So don't jump the gun. Don't jump the gun on me. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about, I, I said it in your credits, uh, Bravo's Married to Medicine, Los Angeles. For my fans who may have not seen the show, and there are fans who have seen the show, please explain to everybody what exactly is Married to Medicine. And, and that's one question. And then I'm going to ask you, how did you get involved? Gotcha. So Married to Medicine is a concept um, that was on the Bravo Network, there's a show in Atlanta, been on the air for eight years. And so recently, in the last two years, Bravo has taken the concept here to L.A. Mm -hmm. um, and it really just is about black female physicians. Half of the women on the show are doctors, OBGYNs, an anesthesiologist, a psychiatrist. And then the other women, myself included, we're married to physicians. Mm -hmm. And so you get to see this world of one, medicine, but also two, black doctors, which to me is amazing because I don't know any other show on television that showcases black physicians. And it's, it's a great thing to be a part of. Right. So how did you get involved? Okay, so Amani, who's one of the ladies on the show here in Los Angeles, Dr. Amani, she's a psychiatrist. I know her. My husband mm -hmm. is also. Yes, yes. So they met because they worked together. Mm -hmm. And so I was introduced to Amani through my husband. Okay, so here's the deal. Okay, so you yeah. have a brand and we we hear horror stories, you know, basketball wise set a tone out there for what, what mm -hmm. the reality shows could do, you know, going across mm -hmm. table, throwing dishes, grabbing weaves, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you told your friends or you told your, your loved one that you may do this show, what were the thoughts that came out of their mouths? And did you have to calm them down or did you have to or did you just pitch them ahead of time to cut off any, let them know that you're not going to do anything crazy that they've seen or they have an idea of what reality shows are doing? They'll, they don't do it as much as they used to do back in the day, but because I think they're more storyline driven. But back in the day, they were a horror story. Yeah, there, there were, and I'll be honest with you, there still are some um, within this Bravo Mary to Medicine crew. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll say I got mixed reviews. My husband was really supportive because obviously we had watched the show before because Amani was on it, and mm -hmm. so we liked what we saw. Mm -hmm. um, but had other family members that were like, girl, you have employees, be very careful. <laughs> right, 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 right. You're a mentor to these young girls. Most of the women that work for me are under the age of 25. So mm -hmm. that was that whole thing that people were like, you know, just be very careful. And so I like 
that I am who I am with a camera crew without it. I'm just who I am. And so it's not always pretty. It's not always lovely, but I do do a lot of great things. So I'm happy that I'm seen a hundred percent the way that I am. And, you know, there's certain things I'm just not going to do. You'll never see me, you know, climbing across the table, pulling someone's hair. Mm -hmm. Um, But you might see me get, you know, indignant or loud or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, try to get my point across, but I feel like that's true to who I am. So you'll never see me do something that I wouldn't do without a camera crew there. Absolutely. And I respect that. I I feel that to me, I always tell people, you know, this is a, this is a brand build for you, especially if you have brands that you want to sell and you're an entrepreneur and I feel you're a smart entrepreneur. And so my thought process, when I heard and read, you know, press release came out and I did a little research on you, you know, I've been following you before for this interview. Now, you know, this ain't just an interview. I just popped up on last week now. And I, cause I always, cause I always look at why people do things. And I felt that this was a move for you to just grow your brand to, you know, to grow your social media, to put a face in front of your buildings and attract more revenue. And also, to expand your brand is that a is that a course of action that I'm, I'm speaking of correctly absolutely as a business owner you have to do things that are outside of your comfort zone for the betterment of your business and this show is definitely something that for me was out of my comfort zone but i recognize that it was going to be a platform that it, i mean it's a gift i mean a platform like this a million viewers every week there's no way right that um would be able to do that on my own without using tons and tons of capital. So this show definitely is a platform for me, but also the other women too. Like I'm inspired and like, you know, Amani's coming out with a book. And so to utilize this platform in the right way, I think is a smart business decision. So, well, well, I I agree. You will not hear me say anything negative about your role on the show. I'm just using these various questions just to educate people about everything. I think everybody, we've gotten a lot smarter about social media. We've gotten a lot smarter about understanding our brand. And I think that Mm -hmm. everybody at first just wanted to just get on TV. And everybody wanted to, they can be the next Kardashian if they do something crazy. Okay, do some crazy. We are Kardashian, you know, and we have a have a billion followers, but that's not the case. They have what what people have seen is they're talented. They're not just pretty faces. These are business women, too. If you look at them, they do business. It's just the same thing here. That's what you're doing. How since coming on the show, how has it impacted your social media growth? Let's go there first. Well, to be honest with you, I realized that I wasn't using social media in the correct way um, until I was on this show. Oh, okay. I, explain, it, explain, it, explain. Well, I just, I used it as, um, I didn't use it often. Mm-hmm. I didn't use it ways that I was supposed to. I mean, I posted sometimes, but I wasn't really getting my message across. I think being on the show and having a machine behind you like Bravo and having other women that came before me that did it correctly, um, especially in Atlanta, to use them as the blueprint, it helped me understand the way to do this, right? You just don't like even the Kardashians, you brought them up. They Mm -hmm. post, but their posts are very strategic. Mm -hmm. When they talk strategy, they're not just getting on just for the sake of you seeing them, right? There's Mm -hmm. a a reason a message behind it and so I'm learning that I have learned that especially being on the show the last few months that I have to be intentional with how I speak to my mm-hmm. audience I have to understand my audience and that has been helpful well you know I, I read something a long time ago about uh, Kim Kardashian she said that for every post she'd take like of, of herself she'd take like about 500 pictures 
making sure. And and I and that taught me something. I went, okay, this is a business. You know, that just don't post any anything just to be posting it. Look at the look at right. justify why you're posting it. Make sure it's the best look of you when you post it. Right. And then people because you're marketing, you're constantly marketing, and that's what social media is all about. And so because you got a lot right. of brands that you have out there, and now let's talk about. Let's go to the first one. We're gonna go to break after this. I want to come back and talk about the cave girl. The Girl Cave in Los Angeles. We're going to talk about the subscription. We're going to talk about the juice bar. Oh, the sports bar? You have a sports bar, too? I have a sports bar in the city of Inglewood. It's called Champ oh, City. Girl, I'm going to tell you something. We got so much to talk about in this next break. She is a businesswoman. <laughs> she is also one of the stars of Bravo's new, uh, well, I shouldn't say new show, because I say new compared to Atlanta. It is kind of new, but it is. she's a new member of the team, Married to Medicine, Los Angeles, which airs every Sunday, Sunday night, 9 uh, East Coast, 8 Central, which is 9 West Coast as well. Be right back with Miss Diaz. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, and you're listening to Money Making Conversation. I have a a fantastic interview going along right here with the, one of the stars of Married to Medicine Los Angeles. In fact, she's the newest star. If you haven't seen the shows on Bravo every Sunday night, 9 Eastern, West Coast, 8 Central, uh, Miss Diaz. Uh, she's the proud owner of the Girl Cave Los Angeles, a chain of beauty supply stores and lifestyle brand and lifestyle brands in Los Angeles. She also has a juice bar, which is Juice It Up LA. She also has a sports yeah. bar, Champ City Bar, and she's a real estate mogul. So we're going we're gonna to get to breaking this down one time. We're going to go. This is going to be our entire entrepreneur break about you. The first half was about <laughs> your your concepts and everything. Now we want to dig into your whole, you know, what keeps you rolling? What keeps you motivating besides the show? It has to be the entrepreneurship. Tell us why it's important to be an entrepreneur, especially a female entrepreneur in, in this day and age. You know what? Um. I don't even know what to say. It's been a ride for me. It's been great. Part of what keeps me inspired is I have three kids, mm -hmm. but I also just have a, a desire just to be good, like to do good to, you know, when I put something out, I want it to, to do well. And I think just in anything that I do, even if it's, you know, making my bed in the morning, like I want to do that well. And I think that that translates into my business and, I, I, it's so much that we have going on and we just keep it going and, um, I don't even know where to start. Honestly. Well, we're going to start at the Girl Cave or is it on Melrose. Now, is that the, is, that's well, the, that's the beauty location, right? On Melrose? Well, so we've recently, we've restructured the Girl Cave okay, LA cool. in the last okay. And so that's part of my, right? So when I got into this industry, I was not talking to my consumer. Listen, I'm a black girl from Inglewood. Yes, we like it. And so I was trying to be in an area of town where my customers weren't and they wanted to support me, but they didn't, it was hard for them to access my store. So I've recently closed, well, not recently, in the last year, we closed the man, uh, the Melrose location mm -hmm. and we opened up a new location in the city of Compton. Mm -hmm. So now we have three stores. We're in Inglewood, South Los Angeles and Compton. Mm -hmm. And we basically just, dug in and everything that you can think about for grooming, hair care, nail care, waxing, everything you can think of, we carry out the stores. And so we have just restructured and it's been really good for us. Well, I love, you know, what you said, you know, Inglewood, South Los Angeles and Compton, that is the core of, of black America. 
in Los Angeles. Right. That is your core audience that you're trying to reach. That's a loyal audience, first of all. But also oh, that's an very- audience that, that, that works at a certain price point. How do you work out the whole price point and making sure there are customers that come back to you? And this is where being on Married to Medicine really in L.A. really helps your brand in those market shares that you just said your three stores are located at, correct? Right, correct. So um, there's no secret that in the beauty supply industry, it's not dominated by by black people. Mm-hmm. We we have issues sometimes as black owners getting competitive pricing. But I always say that that's not my customer's problem. That's my problem. And so I have to make sure that my pricing is competitive compared to other stores, even though I might pay a little bit more for the products because I'm a newer store. We've only been around for five years. And in this industry, that's considered new. Yes, it is. Um, and maybe have the relationships with the distributors. So yeah, I do pay more for my products, but I also make sure that I just eat that cost and I don't pass it on to the consumer because my business issues are not their consumer issues. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, we stay competitive. I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. Sometimes I go into other beauty supply stores and see what that price point is so I can understand, am I overcharging? Am I undercharging? Mm -hmm. Like I want to Mm -hmm. eat right in line my competition well you know you're getting kind of famous there miss diaz so uh <laughs> you, you just can't roll <laughs> in there like you used to roll in there you know what i'm saying so i'll just let you know now they're gonna roll up and they're gonna start taking photos famous person in the store famous person in the store <laughs> oh god no i need to go up guys and send my daughter and we got there you go there you go but it's all good because i understand you're trying to make sure you stay competitive because in this business people can lay you out especially in social media oh she's pricey or her stuff isn't she doesn't deliver on time and that those things are there and so but one thing i really love i saw that i went online and it was talking about it's just real positive it's a it said now offering local delivery hey los angeles looking for essential beauty items braiding hair and nail care supplies we have expanded the ways you can shop from all three of our locations, which is which is the Inglewood location, the Compton location, and South, South Los Angeles location, you deliver, ship, and provide curbside delivery. That's yes. staying in the game. That is staying yes. in the game. Talk to us about that. Well, I have to shift. And I mean, in order to be successful, you have to move with the times. And obviously, with the shutdowns and, um, you know, the virus going around, I have to make sure that I'm, I'm staying in business. Mm-hmm. I got employees to or mm-hmm. paycheck and I'm you know I'm invested in this so we have to shift we always had a website right. but we're pushing that online so people understand that and we've been getting orders literally from New Jersey from Florida from all over all over the country with push to push the website and then people just feel more comfortable shopping for essential goods online now I mean and so we have to meet the need so we have a whole delivery team now um, and we're just out every day every morning we're assigning orders and we're getting them out so people get their orders within a few hours and that's just been our new goal we know it was so it's so nice when you said we have a delivery team now you were so it's so <laughs> proud of that because of the fact that one thing that's come out of the pandemic that we are dealing with is is that black people have, have come to the realization that technology has to become a part of their lifestyle they have to mm-hmm. embrace the online world out there that we've somehow battled we used our phone just just to talk on or just to text on where our right. competitors are non-african americans or non-people of color use their phone to operate on to do their business on to communicate outside of texting and talking and so that has right. been i think one of the great 
uh, blessings because, you know, we know that African-Americans have been uh, overtly effective in a negative manner due to COVID-19. But in the, from a yeah. communication standpoint, like you said, online, that's what I love hearing what you're saying, because by just changing your business model, you're not just selling in the Los Angeles County area. You're now, right. in some ways, maybe internationally selling your brand now and getting orders because of the fact that you become a 24 hour store. And as they say, you're getting checks in your mailbox is how you want to do business anyway. You want to be sleeping and making money. And that's the ultimate goal yeah. for your brands, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, just to be able to have a platform like a website, can you imagine that? Like somebody in New Jersey knows who we are here in, in Inglewood, California. Like that's just, it's amazing to me that the word is out and that people are shopping across the country. And this morning I'm actually here at my distributor. Um, cause I have to pull an order. We got an order in Dubai. I'm like, Hi, I, told you. About it? I told you, I told you international. I, I, I said it. I said, I said the blessing and the blessing came through. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. I love it. I love it. I lo Because I, I, I love talking to young entrepreneurs. I love talking to them realizing that excitement. You say we have a delivery team now because you you really see that it's not always, you know, hand to hand comeback when you're doing business. Right. You know, it's about being able to not see your customers, but deliver a product online that they feel comfortable with ordering. Because we know there are so many scams out there. We know sometimes right. you click, you don't know where to go. And then these big corporations like Amazon, they they have a brand that people respect. And so people tend to go there to buy their, their services or buy their product. And you can deliver the same product, probably cheaper right. than they will, and also get a faster yep. delivery pace to them as well. But the thing that I really love about just hearing you talk and the enthusiasm of the product is that you have a subscription box. Let's talk about that. $19.99 plus $9.99 shipping. That's still available, correct? Yes. So we actually, we've, um, we've shipped it. We're still, subscriptions are still available. Yes, ma'am. Um, but you've just seen that there's a need for like essential products. Absolutely. So we've created um, remedies because mm. people are transitioning in this time, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that usually wear wigs, weaves, extensions, mm -hmm. we've seen that they to the natural hair care um, option because the salons are closed. So we've shifted that too. This is all about evolving as times change, right? So we did have a subscription box, but now we have remedies online. Awesome. So if you're transitioning and you, you know, you want to go natural, we have a transition remedy and we have a do-it-yourself remedy. So you can literally go online and pick what transition your hair is going through mm -hmm. and pick a remedy to, to deal with it. Yeah. I'm going to just tell you about me a little bit here. 88% of my followers are female. 88%. I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. I'm a baker. I, I, I sell positive. I, 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 my sister, I have six sisters. I just embrace empowering women. And the reason I bring that up is that I have an email, a, a newsletter that goes out every Friday at 9 a.m. to 90,000 fan club members i like to put I, I like to put an ad in there for you not up not that i shouldn't use the word ad a banner a banner of marketing your brand click here buy ship anywhere Ninety thousand. so if you get a if you get a, a, a order from chicago that might be rishon you get an order from florida that might be <laughs> rishon you get an order from montana that might be rishon all i'm just telling you is that that is why i feel i have to share my blessings when i hear your story miss diaz i have to be able to compel to say what can i do more for you 
What can I do more? Wow. What can, how can I help you keep winning? Because if you win, that means people stay employed. That means that you become a visionary and you understand when you said, hey, I'm trying to make beauty normal. Right now, beauty is abnormal. But people have extreme yeah. thoughts of what beauty is. I have a 22-year-old daughter. I need you to be our role model. That's why I'm ready to support you. Wow. I'm blown away. Thank you so much for that. You don't even understand how, what that means because you don't have to do that. And I really, really, I can't even express how much I appreciate it, but I do. Thank you. I'm going to tell you Thank this. You. you don't have to express. Just give me that banner. Like I said, every Friday at 9 a.m., it goes out, and it's a beautiful letter. I, I, got my, I have my PR firm send it to you so you can see how how it's put laid out. Uh, it's, uh, you know, this week I got my girl Yolanda Adams in there, Boris Kojo for his suits. I got uh, Cedric Entertainer in his hats. I I got some names up in this it, this newsletter now, Miss Diaz. Now, this is not just an okey-doke newsletter now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Wow, that's amazing. I am blown away. Thank you. Well, I, all I know is that uh, I know we run out of time, and I, I, I want to bring you back to talk about the sports bar and the juice bar, but I, this whole thing about beauty and you being an entrepreneur, I, I just wanted to get that story out and also just say thank you for being who you are, and I'm going to support you and definitely get that information to you. If you can't get it out this week, get it to me next week, and we'll get it in there. But every Friday at 9 a.m., it goes off. at East Coast time. It goes out, and I, I'll be more than happy to support your brand okay thank you thank you thank you for this platform thank you for helping <laughs> get the word out about LA and medicine and just allowing me to talk about who I am well let me tell you something Dubai Dubai not but goodbye yeah. Dubai New Jersey. We're going to do it all over. We're going to get some. We're going to get some. Now we're going to get Jamaica. We got to get South Africa. We got to get Australia. I'm, I'm popular in Ireland. Can you believe that? I'm popular in Ireland. I'm popular in New Zealand. It's amazing people are listening to this show all over the world. And we want them to start buying your product all over the world. Thank you for calling on Money Making Conversations. I appreciate you. No, I appreciate you. Thank you again. <laughs> awesome. If you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.